Greetings and welcome to the Cathartic Yardstick Podcast with your hosts, Ray and Mark. In this episode, your intrepid hosts explore the phenomenon of reincarnation and memories of past lives. Ray and I go to great lengths for our listeners. In fact, last week we spent $5,000 just on a reincarnation seminar. We figured, what the heck, you only live once. So much for yellow. Welcome to the Cathartic Yardstick Podcast with uh, Ray and Mark. I'm Ray. I'm Mark. And uh, this is the podcast. Or, it is. Or the radio show that we think it is. It is. We could have done this in a past life, but we're doing it again now. Hey, that's an interesting topic for a podcast. It is. Let's do one. Let's do that. Uh, we're going to be talking, yeah, we're going to be talking about past lives. And a lot of it can be traced back to a movement that started in 1875 uh, in New York City. And the movement was called Theosophy, and it's described as an esoteric religious movement established in the United States during the late 19th century. It was founded largely by the Russian emigre Helena Blavatsky uh, and draws its beliefs predominantly from Blavatsky's writings. Categorized by scholars of religion as part of the occultist, <laughs> as part of the occultist current of Western esotericism, it draws upon both older European philosophies like Neoplatonism and Asian religions like Hinduism and Buddhism. As taught by Blavatsky, Theosophy te- teaches that there is an ancient and secretive brotherhood of spiritual adepts known as Mahatmas, who are found across the world and are centered in Tibet. So, so basically, she's saying that there are elevated individuals throughout the world, throughout history, you know, throughout the Bible, who have an increased spiritual awareness and are aware of things like their past lives and how this is all hooked together. And the reason why I'm bringing up theosophy is it, it'll kind of be a common thread running through a lot of what's going on with contemporary belief in uh, past lives and past life regression. Uh, it was kind of where East meets West on this. I mean, it, it's in Western societies, it's not really part of any organized religious thought, whereas it's very integral to things like uh, Jainism and Hinduism in, in the East. So it was kind of a way of bringing that over here. And I'll talk a little bit more when we're all done with this as to why I think that happened. But uh, to get the ball rolling here, uh, Mark's got some uh, some stories. Okay. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, The soul comes from without into the human body as into a temporary abode, and it goes out of it anew. It passes into other habitations, for the soul is immortal. It is the secret of the world that all things subsist and do not die, but only retire a little from sight and afterward return again. Nothing is dead. Men feign themselves dead and endure mock funerals, and there they stand, looking out of the window, sound and well, in some strange new disguise. So, what happens to us when we die? This is a question as old as mankind. And while religions try to answer it with faith, it offers no proof. According to the Tibetan Book of the Dead, the soul goes through several transitional states, or bardos, on the way out. With enough preparation, the soul lives again in a next higher level of being, If not, there will be a return to this life in some form or another. Now, in terms of reincarnation research, Ian Stevenson, MD, was a researcher on the topic of reincarnation at the University of Virginia. 
but he was 77 years old and he needed someone to carry on for him. Jim Tucker was a child psychiatrist in private practice and was looking for a field of work that he'd find more stimulating. Jim was a perfect fit for the UVA job. He was an experienced child psychiatrist and was comfortable interviewing young children and families. So he picked up the study area into reincarnation at UVA. He was particularly interested in one dynamic. Some young children informed their parents that they were once someone else, someone who had died. And that's where Jim focused his studies. Research at the University of Virginia has yielded some amazing correlations between the details given by these children and the actual lives about the deceased people they claim to be. In 2013, Dr. Jim Tucker published a book entitled Return to Life, Extraordinary Cases of Children Who Remember Past Lives. In many of these stories these children tell, the person they claim to have been in a past life died violently or unnaturally. So out of 2,500 cases studied, Dr. Tucker indicates that 70% of them fit this pattern. I have two stories here. First is Ryan's story. When Ryan Hammonds was four, his parents noticed that his imaginary play began including him acting as if he were a director in a movie. He'd be in his room calling out directions such as action. His parents didn't really become concerned until Ryan started waking up in the middle of the night, screaming and clutching his chest, saying that he dreamt that his heart exploded when he was in Hollywood. The family doctor advised that it was just night terrors and that it would pass and he'd outgrow them. And then one night, as his mother was tucking him in, Ryan reached out, touched her hand and said, Mama, I think I used to be someone else. Ryan told his mother that he remembered a big white house and a swimming pool. It was in Hollywood. He said he had three sons, but that he couldn't remember their names. In fact, he became agitated to the point of tears frustrated that he couldn't remember their names. Ryan was so consistent and so insistent uh, that his mother didn't say anything to anyone, but she was sufficiently concerned that she began researching about reincarnation. She also got some library books on Hollywood as she thought the pictures might help him. One day as Ryan and his mom paged through one of the books, Ryan paused at a black and white picture taken from a 1930s movie entitled Night After Night. In the picture, two men in the center of the picture were confronting one another, while four other men surrounded them. His mother didn't recognize any of the actors, but Ryan pointed to one of the men in the middle. Hey, Mama, he said, that's George. We did a picture together. Then he noticed one of the men on the right who was scowling and wearing an overcoat. Ryan shouted out, that guy's me. I found me. The book didn't provide the names of the men in the picture, but Ryan's mother did some additional research on the cast of the movie. She confirmed that the man Ryan identified as George was George Raft, a film star of the 1930s and 40s. There was no other information on the supporting cast and the names of the additional men in the picture. In the course of her research, she learned about Dr.'s study and Dr. Tucker's study at UVA, and she contacted him and included the photo. Eventually, they got the photo to a film archivist who, after weeks of research, identified the scowling man in the photo as Martin Martin. So Martin 
Martin, M-A-R-T-Y-N, an uncredited extra in the film. Tucker hadn't shared that discovery with the Hammonds family when he traveled to their home a few weeks later. Instead, what he did was he laid out black and white photos of four women on the kitchen table. Three of them were random. Tucker asked Ryan, do any of these mean anything to you? Ryan studied the pictures. He pointed to one. She looks familiar, he said. And that was Martin Martin's wife. With Dr. Tucker on the case, uh, he and the Ryan's family traveled to California to meet Martin's daughter, who had been tracked down by researchers working with Tucker on a documentary. Tucker sat down with the woman before meeting with Ryan. She was reluctant at first to participate, but she was able to confirm dozens of facts that Ryan had given about her father. Ryan said that uh, he danced in New York, and as it turns out, Martin started as a dancer in Broadway in New York. Ryan said he was also an agent and that people where he worked had changed their names. As it turns out, after the end of his dancing career, Martin worked for years at a well-known talent agency in Hollywood where stage names are often created. Ryan said that his old address had Rock in its name. And as it turns out, Martin lived at 825 North Roxbury Drive in Beverly Hills. Ryan said that he knew a, name, a man by the name of Senator Five. Martin's daughter said she had a picture of her father with a Senator Ives, Irving Ives of New York, who served in the U.S. Senate from 1947 to 1959. Ryan said that he had three sons, and Martin actually had three sons. And of course, the daughter was able to fill in their names. So that's the first uncanny story. The uh, second one deals with a, a two-year-old James Leninger. He lived in Louisiana and loved toy planes. When visiting the local aviation museum with his father, he'd also always gravitate to World War II fighters. He started to have repeated nightmares involving a plane crash. He'd kick his legs up in the air screaming, airplane crash on fire, little man can't get out. Then during the day, he'd slam his toy planes into the family coffee table while yelling, airplane crash, on fire. James told his parents that he had been a pilot and he had flown off a boat. And so one time his father asked him what the name of the boat was. And James answered, the Natoma. When his father replied, that sounds Japanese to me. James said, no, it's American. James went on to say that he had piloted a type of plane called a Corsair and that his nickname was Little Man. He added that he had a friend on the boat named Jack Larson. James's father began doing research and learned that there was indeed an American aircraft carrier called the USS Natoma Bay that supported operations at Iwo Jima during that World War II battle. During the Battle of Iwo Jima, the Natoma Bay lost one pilot, a young man from Pennsylvania named James Houston. His plane was hit in the engine, exploded, crashed into the water, and quickly sunk. Ironically, his wingman was named Jack Larson. As James's father would uncover more information about Houston, he, he wouldn't tell James any of it, uh, the Leningers would notice more about their son's actions. James had three G.I. Joe dolls and named them Leon, Walter, and Billy. When doing research on James Houston, James's father discovered that according to U.S. Pacific Fleet records, Lieutenant Leon Stevens Connor, Ensign James Walter John Devlin and Ensign Billy Rufus Peeler were among 21 fatalities from an Natoma Bay. 
They were also members of the VC-81 Air Squadron with Houston. When asked why he named the dolls the way he did, Bruce said, James answered, because they greeted me when I went to heaven. James's father discovered that Houston didn't die in a Corsair. He actually died in a Grumman FM-2 Wildcat. But prior to his transfer to the Natoma Bay, Houston flew a Corsair. James also explained to his father how Corsairs would frequently have flat tires and would always tend to turn to the left. After checking with military historians at the Lone Star Flight Museum in Galveston, the statement was verified. Um, and even I've actually read about this. Uh, the idea with this particular fighter was to mate the most powerful engine with the smallest airframe, swinging a huge prop. Uh, and so when approaching a carrier, the stall characteristics at low speed were terrible. At low speed, the left wing had a tendency to drop, so hard landings were characteristic, and often there'd be damage to gear and tires. Houston's sister, Anne Barron, had also verified other details James had made earlier about his previous family, including the problems caused by his father's alcoholism. After speaking with James, she became convinced that he was indeed her brother reborn from his knowledge of facts known only to Houston, such as the existence of a painting by their mother of Anne as a child. Both children were from Christian families, so really no cultural exposure to the concept of reincarnation. And uh, as Dr. Tucker said, these types of memories typically fade uh, around six years of age as the children uh, fully embrace the life they're in now. Uh, Tucker, one of the only scientists in the world studying the phenomenon, says the strength of the cases he encounters vary. Some can be easily discounted, for instance, when it becomes clear that a child's innocuous statements come within a family that desperately misses a loved one. But in a number of cases, like Ryan's, Tucker says the most logical scientific explanation for a claim is as simple as it is astounding. Somehow the child recalls memories from another life. He says, I understand the leap it takes to conclude that there's something beyond what we can see and touch. Um, but there is evidence here that needs to be accounted for. And when we look at these cases carefully, some sort of carryover of memories often makes the most sense. Uh, raised as a Southern Baptist in North Carolina, Tucker has weighed other more earthly explanations for the phenomenon. He looked at fraud, perhaps for financial gain or fame. But most claims usually don't net a movie deal. And many of the families that Tucker has met, particularly in the West, are reluctant to speak publicly about their child's unusual behavior. Tucker is also considered simple childhood fantasy play, but that doesn't explain how the details children offer can sometimes lead back to particular individuals. It defies logic that it would be a coincidence, he says. Faulty memories of witnesses are likely present in many cases, Tucker says, but there's dozens of instances where people made notes of what the children were saying almost from the beginning. None of these possibilities uh, would also explain some of the other patterns, like the intense emotional attachment many children have to these memories. Tucker believes the relatively small claims he and Stevenson's collected during the past five decades, especially from America, is partly because parents may dismiss or understand misunderstand what the children are telling them. If children get a message they aren't being listened to, or they're not being what they're saying isn't being approved of, they'll stop talking. So I thought those were two stories that I found kind of chilling, if accurate. 
I, I'm not overly impressed with those. You're a skeptic by nature, I, I Ray am. Martin. Like the, the Ryan story. You know, it sounded like at first they're setting it up that he was a director, but then no, they're claiming he was just an actor. And that's that because they just happened to be looking at a book and he just fixated on one person and said, oh, that's me. Again, I'm, how much of this becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy issue? Right. If you're, if you're studying it, it all depends on how you're questioning the child and how you're prepping them. And sometimes, I mean, I, I think obviously there are going to be some people who will intentionally plant ideas uh, for notoriety or whatnot, but even unintentionally, like when police talk to a suspect, if you're not careful, you're going to be shaping the story, you know? So there's, there's modes of questioning designed specifically so that you're not inserting influence into it. So it can be done nefariously or innocently. Yeah. Um, and if, if this were true, uh, if, you know, in the uh, theosophical framework, we were essentially just an evolving soul, you know, that's had millions of lives and, and, you know, the human bodies are just temporary uh, vessels for that soul as, as it moves through its progression. Basically, it's, it's, it's seeking freedom and unity with the, you know, the creator. That, that's the ultimate goal. So if, if that were the case, you would think that this would be a much more common kind of phenomena. And why wouldn't you remember your past lives if memories are not just linked to a brain then it seems to make sense that you would have access to all your memories. And if you've, if you've been around thousands of times, I would think you'd have access to all that information. Wouldn't you? Maybe. Wouldn't you think that? <laughs> I think, no, I think, I, th- I mean, I think so much of this stuff, um, any kind of paranormal stuff, I would think that paranormal experience is not something... I mean, it wouldn't be paranormal if it was normal, right? And so I think, I think most of the time the human body is not attuned to pick up and develop this stuff. I think some people have more perception and might perceive more, maybe remember more. Yeah, I, I guess there's also the, the issue of there not being a lot of objective research. Um, Dr. Stevenson's mother uh, was in the theophysi- um, Theosophical Society, uh, so she was, you know, she had all these books on the- theophysi, and Ian had access to them growing up. So I think he's going in expecting to find this. And sometimes, if you're really trying hard to to find something, you will find it. You know, he traveled all over the world collecting these stories. Right. Do you think that? Um you would land a university gig if, like, for example, you were a strong believer of UFOs and you wanted to study UFOs. Are you likely to get a university gig? Or are they going to look for somebody who's more of an academic? It's hard because it doesn't really stand up to, you know, these aren't being submitted to peer-reviewed journals. Uh, it's not really the scientific method. Uh, it tends to be very anecdotal. Both Stevenson and uh, Tucker have been accused of cherry-picking and just reporting anecdotal evidence. So, I, I don't know. It, I, it doesn't seem to be, there doesn't seem to be an overwhelming amount of information on this or, or proof. It, it's interesting that this this thread, this, uh, this you know, past lives stuff, is continuing to go on and, and, and change. And when I was looking into it, I ran across uh, the Artheria Society, which was started uh, in the 50s in England by a, a Dr. George King, who was contacted, basically channeled an intelligence called Artherius, uh, and was given the information about 
the soul's journey, and they started this society a lot like the uh, Theosophical Society. <laughs> and the underneath the, their banner for their webpage, it says, Cooperating with the Gods from Space. So this is taking it one step mm. further. It's like the, we, there wasn't much talk about UFOs in 1875, so this is kind of a more modern version where we've gone more universal and we've moved beyond just Earth out into outer space. But the concept is the same. There's ascended beings on this world and other worlds, and we're all kind of moving towards the same thing. And a lot of this, these kind of esoteric Gnostic sort of religions seem to all spring up in response to the Industrial Revolution, Darwinism. So, so it's, it's a way, I think, of reconciling religious belief with, with what's going on in the scientific community. Because before that, it was pretty much one person, one life. God created us all. We're all unique. You know, you die, there's an afterlife. But, you know, Darwin's kind of saying, no, 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 you, you all evolve. So then, all right, well, then the same thing must happen to our souls. Our souls start out imperfect, and we go through this whole spiritual evolution process temporarily inhabiting these vessels that are also evolving. So it's almost like a way of incorporating Western thought, uh, Eastern thought, and uh, Western scientific developments in, in evolution and science and empiricism uh, to, just to try to make sense of that but not lose the, the spiritual connection. So it's kind of, a, I think, a, a desperate attempt to, to maintain religion in the face of science. Yeah, it's, it goes back to, uh, I think, how much difficulty human beings have with the concept of death and the and how much they want to believe there's something more after the end. And you can basically say it happens in heaven or it happens in another body. The reincarnation, uh, theosophy, um, new age stuff is, is not really a religion per se. It doesn't have the same structure, something like Hinduism does. You don't even necessarily have to believe in a very Western version of God to believe in it. It's just like this this force. Sometimes it's called unity. Um, yeah, I think in like the writings of Edgar Allan Poe, he, he talks about unity and going back to unity. And, and that's our, our spiritual journey. We all start from that same spark, and it's all just a struggle possibly over m many, many lives to get back to where we started from. So then your your conclusion is that this is probably not accurate, so that only something like time travel uh, is. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> well, I do know that um, that an amazing number of Swedes believe in reincarnation, but that's only because they want to be Bjorn again. <laughs> you, you get it? <laughs> so if you believe in reincarnation... Instead of putting R.I.P. on your gravestone, what would they put on? B.R.B.? Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> or you could say politicians are the surest proof of reincarnation because it's absolutely impossible to be that screwed up in one lifetime. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah, uh... And and if, if I believe in reincarnation, I'm going to do my will so I leave all my crap to myself. <laughs> Well, you know, and it it was a fad for a while. Uh, you know, reincarnation, well, re past life regression therapy. What uh, was a fad? Oh. You'd go to um, a therapist who who was also a hypnotist, and they'd regress you to past lives because it was based on a belief that 
your current problems are based on unresolved issues from a previous life. But the problem with that going into it is you're going to a therapist who who believes in, in reincarnation. You already believe in reincarnation and probably already have, even if you haven't voiced it, some idea of what happened in your previous life that's causing your current problems. But I thought all these stories are interesting. It's compelling. I've heard other things where that people have like birthmarks and stuff and that, you know, shows trauma from a previous life. Like, you know, someone got, got shot in the neck and that's why they have a birthmark on their neck. I, I don't know. Um, kids do confabulate stuff and there's a lot of belief that this is pretty much just confabulation. And, and I did watch a couple YouTube videos of uh, therapists doing past life regressions. And there are quite a few leading questions. I can remember... Back at Siena, freshman orientation, one of the, the things we had was an evening with a hypnotist, one of those. Oh, I were you there? I was there. Okay. And, yeah. you know, it, the way he, he vets members to come up on stage is, you know, he has everybody close their eyes and hold up their hand and then imagine you're holding a very heavy weight and it's getting heavier and heavier. But the people who, who whose, whose arms are dropping, that's the people he's picking because they're open to the suggestion. And and he had uh, he had one guy get up there and told him you're from Mars, speak, you know, speak in Martian. And, and then he had another guy say, okay, you understand Martian, you interpret everything this other guy's saying. And they had a whole conversation. None of it was, was really Martian, but they were convinced it was, and it sounded kind of funny. So I think a lot of that is in play here. Well, then again, I just need to clarify for the record that Ray does not believe in reincarnation, but that's okay. He didn't believe it when he was a hamster either. Well, and like, uh, <laughs> like, uh, as I suspect, uh, as I suspect about Houdini, you know, Houdini spent a lot of time debunking spiritualists and mediums, but I think deep down he was really hoping to find the one real one he couldn't debunk. That's right. And I, I think I'm kind of the same way. I, I, I love debunking this stuff. I, you know, I, I don't really think any of it exists, but. I'd be thrilled if if we did find something that I absolutely couldn't explain. Yep. What I am open to is the idea that um, I think there's definitely more out there than what we're aware of. And there's something to some of this stuff, mm-hmm. more of it than we're aware of. We just can't explain it. And I think there are people who try to explain it and they probably embellish it. But of all the stories you hear about ghosts, about ESP, about you know all these things, I think there's some explanation out there uh, more than imagination. You know, if you would just listen to me and do what I tell you to do, <laughs> you'd be a much happier co-host. JimBTucker.com. He has a website for the last 50 years, doctor, doctor at the UVA Division of Perceptual Studies. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, Jim Tucker's bio. He's at the medical school. Yes, where uh, Stevenson was. And neurobehavioral sciences division of perceptual studies. So it makes me kind of wonder. I mean, if you really were a tinfoil hat wearing kind of guy, are you going to get hired by UVA? I, I don't know, unless you got grants. 
UVA, uvamagazine.org. I am embarrassed for UVA psychiatrist Jim Tucker and for UVA School of Medicine. <laughs> if Professor Tucker had applied this effort to support the psychological phenomenon known as false memory, he have, would have not needed to butcher the science of quantum <laughs> physics to support his, his faith. And, oh, my gosh. That's great. Um, and he's also dead now, apparently. Oh, well, not yeah. anymore. <laughs> That's right. Not anymore. So no, I think I think it's interesting. It it is interesting, but uh, you know, it it's also pretty closely tied to the the near death experience uh, phenomena. It's it's you know it, it's pop culture, it's pop psychology. Uh, it's not well supported by really anything that at all resembles strict scientific method. My theory is that there's something beyond the physical realm. And I've always kind of thought that little kids, when you take them home from the hospital, um, they're new to this realm, but they have some connection from whence they came. Uh, I remember um, my daughter, when I brought her home from the hospital, we took her to Fredericksburg. And I remember she was fascinated looking up in the sky and smiling. What are you looking at? And it was a church steeple. And I always thought, eh, there's a, there's a connection maybe from uh, where you came from. I don't know. But I've always been open. I've always been open to the idea that there's something more out there. We just don't understand what it is and we can't articulate it. If some lady is yelling at me because I'm looking at her smiling, it could just be a past lifetime. I don't know. Help me rinse the mace out of my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the Cathartic Yardstick Podcast. Join us again now or in your next life. Who gets to be the hot one? Uh, that, that'd be me.